When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. On 882-6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode, uh, really has to be said, is one of those uh, annoyingly high-achieving people. Uh, she studied uh, music at Oxford University uh, at the Royal College of Music in London, uh, principally uh, playing the viola, uh, and then moved to Western Australia some two decades or so ago. Uh, Completed an MBA at the University of WA uh, and then went on to become uh, the director and founder of North Street Music, the Perth Symphony Orchestra uh, and the Perth Chamber Orchestra and has delighted thousands of people right around in all sorts of weird and wonderful places around WA uh, with the gift of music. And uh, just to add to it, she's also uh, competed uh, at international level in the sport of rowing. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Bobby Webster. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, fair to say 2020 has been a, a bit of a crappy year in the performance art space. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Understatement. Look, all, I, all we can say that? is, can we just talk about 2021? Is <laughs> it going to be any better? Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> well, actually, yes. It's just, you know, we're, we're the music industry doesn't shift quickly. I mean... Let's face it, everyone was streaming and yet still people were making CDs. So mm. we are one of those industries that takes a little bit of a nudge and particularly the arts side of the music industry. Yes. But the plans and stuff that we're doing to get around COVID stuff, yes, we will definitely see a different 2021 and I'm much more positive about it than I am this year. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, let's just say goodbye to it and, oh, and hit the reset. Please, yeah. seriously. But it's seriously though, I mean, the Perth Symphony Orchestra, you play in front of thousands of people. At times, How's, exactly. And what, what's everyone been doing this? You year? feel starved. You yeah. really feel starved. Look, we Perth Symphony is the home of pretty much the entire casual we call them pool of professional musicians in Western mm. Australia. We've got two hundred and sixty of them on our books, um, but. Perth is growing, which is awesome, and the volume and intensity of music is growing. But at the moment, it would be pretty tough for a casual player to make a full-time living just from playing. Mm. There are those that exist, but a huge number back it up with teaching. That has exploded in lockdown. So whilst plenty of musicians are desperate to get out on stage and perform, their teaching load has gone through the roof. I mean, this is the best thing for me and the world I'm in because you've got people that used to play a cello when they were 15 and it's been sitting in the attic and they're like, actually, 
I'm in lockdown. I'll get it out and learn again and I need to find a teacher. So actually, there's been a ton of music making. Mm. Music shops have been selling out of instruments. Our musicians have been gainfully employed teaching. So, you know, it's it's not been all bad. But for me, who runs a performing-based yeah. organisation, I am literally climbing the walls, desperate to see the orchestra on stage again. The only losers in that then are the people who live next door to someone who's picked up a violin <laughs> for the first time or oh, God, ever or imagine? in 20 years. That screeching sound. Um, you were obviously a, a very highly trained and highly proficient uh, player of the viola. Um I suppose you've now moved more into the business and administration side of things. Do you still play much? And I haven't mentioned yet that you were also in the uh, in the band Bond. I was. Well, it's as funny well, you but should are say you playing that. much now? I am. And do you know what? I actually three weeks ago made my Perth Symphony debut playing classical music. There you go. So during lockdown, one of the things that I did was create veranda concerts. So if you live in Frio, you should head down to Suffolk Street. It's a very musical street. Um, and I joined forces with Indigenous singer Phil Wally Stack, who is a beautiful storyteller and crafts beautiful songs. And he and I jammed viola and guitar songs on my front porch. Loads of people in the street stopped, safely, socially distanced on the other side of the fence, and the neighbours sat in the driveway on the camper chairs. And we got chatting and just... We both realised we'd been funded to do regional tours in our own right mm. during lockdown. We both had that money sitting there available, you know, and the state government had funded us. And we said to the government, do you mind if we combine forces and go play some regional venues now? So we are actually in the middle of a regional tour. So I've just got back from Northam and Mora. Right. And I put myself in the orchestra, and I never do that. I am... Happy as a pig in mud right now, Tim. <laughs> so why did you do it? You just felt the urge to go back to your roots. Look, I wish I actually would never take a job off one of our viola players. So I actually feel a bit guilty. And generally I don't play yeah. because I don't want to steal someone's job. But yeah. um, this is my chance to go and build relationships with these shires and meet different communities and meet some of the elders in the Aboriginal community through Phil and meet the shire presidents while I'm on the road to talk about what music could and might happen in their communities if Perth Symphony could facilitate it. So mm. we're known as the orchestra that gets out of the concert hall into mm. the community. Yep. And people often are like, what? There's two orchestras in Perth? You know, they've heard of Wasso, the West Australian, but they haven't heard of us. And I'm like, well, that's because we spend a lot of time on the road, yes. out of the city. So, yeah, look, it, it was basically me saying, I've got to go visit these towns anyway. I'm probably going to be there. No one's going to kind of notice if I jump up on stage and jam along. And it's brilliant. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely oh, loving it. Yeah, I'll ask you more about uh, the extraordinary different places that you've played uh, as an orchestra over the years because I know you've played, you know, on beaches and yep. in we love it. car parks and warehouses and all sorts of places. But um, let's go back to the to the very beginning. Um, I'm, I'm no detective, but I'm picking up an accent. Mm -hmm. um, tell us where you grew up and, and where you first fell in love with music. Uh, grew up in the West Country of England in yep. Gloucestershire, southwest Gloucestershire, which mm -hmm. is a pretty rural part of the UK. Very picture postcard pretty. And oh, a yeah. 400 year old stone cottage that you bang your head on with wooden, you know, literally wooden beams everywhere, tiny little that, cottage. That was your home. Yeah. Yep. That I grew up in, log fires, you name it. So about as Englishy, Englishy as you can get. Yeah. But music was just a way of life in the village. Like we had two choirs, a Gilbert and Sullivan Society, you know, a guitar ensemble. Uh, silver marching band. So my first instrument was the tenor horn, which is like a little tuba. And you pretty much get it because someone in the village dies and that instrument goes back Needs in the cupboard. Playing. And then whoever <laughs> is the young kid that wants to start gets whatever instrument. So I was a bit gutted. I wanted to play the cornet. 
but I got the tenor horn. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't even remember learning to read music. Like it's so much of a part of British fabric and English life and pretty much everyone sings, everyone knows hymns, you know, so it's it's just for me a connector. Like my village was music. Like mm. there's no way I would have known the old bloke from the garage mm. or the butcher's wife if she didn't sing in the village choir with me. So it was a way to connect with different ages, different yep. people. Um, and then fast forward to Australia in the year 2000 when I moved out here and I couldn't find a choir to join and the nearest orchestra was an hour's drive away. You know, if I mean, I, I auditioned and played with Wazo for a while as a casual player, but I'm interested in community music and, yeah, I couldn't find much. And that is changing and, you know, your listeners out there that are participating in music will be like, what? Yeah, but I do this. Mm. But in the main... There is such it was a hard to come monster by. opportunity yeah. here. So, yeah, so for me, music was just something I did. And my mum had played violin, so she had a really crappy violin in the attic. But my school started offering lessons. And I was like, well, here's one in the attic and I can get free lessons. So fell into it by accident, to be honest. But yeah. You obviously loved it, though, and were very good at it. Do you want to know a really good secret? Sure. I don't even think I loved it or was any good at it. But my next door neighbour, <laughs> well, wrong, my friend in the next village decided that she thought it looked cool on the school bus. So she started learning too. And I found some <laughs> duet books and we were so competitive that I was like, she's not going to get better than me. She started after me. And then we discovered that we could go busking at the local steam railway tourist site. It sounds like such a made up story. It's from hilarious, the right? I know, yeah. but I used to get 50 pence pocket money a week, right? <laughs> There's my mate and I, 11 years old, busking outside the steam railway. And we would get like 10 quid each in an hour. Yeah. So... I think I did it for the money, actually. <laughs> and like we literally crashed our way through so many duet books that by the time we were 15, we suddenly found we were grade eight and playing in loads of orchestras. And that was kind of what we were going to do. But yeah, I wouldn't say that it was some beautiful romantic story that I found my calling. Yeah. I found was, out how to make some your voice. great money on a Saturday where I could mm. buy cream cakes at the local bakery. <laughs> Motivations. They can take on all forms, can't they? <laughs> Having said that, I mean, you then followed it through. You've, you've gone on to study at Oxford and the Royal College of, of Music in London as well. Yeah. I mean, there well, still must have been some sense of yeah. enjoyment oh, in there When When you get well. proficient, and yeah. this is the thing that's really hard in today's society because you really need discipline to learn that instrument. Like most orchestral instruments and the ability to read music yep. does take four or five years. It's not like... And I'm going to be a bit rude, but having done sport, but, you know, obviously I love a game of soccer with my friends. I can play that at any level and get pleasure from it. You don't really start getting pleasure from an instrument for a few years. So you, it takes a lot once it's in your blood. Mm. That's it. I mean, yeah. there is no way I could live without music. To yeah. And I found it easy and I wanted to learn more about it and I wanted to expand my knowledge. So for me, studying it at uni... There was just no other subject that yeah, I wanted to know it was more about. A, it was just a given. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I couldn't – I would have let myself down if I'd tried anything else. It would have yeah. been false. So what was it like then getting ripped out of your idyllic West Country village um, that sounds like it, it, you know, it belongs in the 300 years ago sort of I, period. You know, it, what, it, ripped out of there and then and then going to Oxford it wasn't, and then to it London. It wasn't even a village. I mean, literally, I lived in a, a tiny a tiny dot outside a village. Like, yep. so the only landmark was a post box, a red post box in the wall, um, nearest pub, you know, four k's away. So mm. by Australian standards, everyone's like that is not remote. 
but by English standards, it was remote. Middle of nowhere. Oxford, on the other hand, holy crap. I mean, literally, here's little country bumpkin me who, you know, wore my socks pulled up to my knees at school um, and sang in the local village choir and had a pretty simple life. And then Oxford University, where you've literally got Indian princes and Russian czars' daughters and heir to lord and what i mean i literally thought i'm on i was on a film set yeah oxford university is a film set i mean mm. most people have seen inspector morse oh it's again it's it's a different postcard but it is a postcard yeah it's, i mean it's, it was yeah. in i cannot begin to tell you how insane yeah that lifestyle yeah. is and i mean like bands like radiohead have come out of oxford uni so the the kind of spectrum of music and art but any night of the week, Oxford's a collegiate uni, mm. so you're based in one of the many colleges. But every college would have like a Shakespeare society playing Shakespeare in the quad. You know, one night I was in that I was literally in nine orchestras. Wow! So I played every night of the week. It was prolific. The repertoire that I played, you know, and just in amazing, amazing life. Yeah, yeah. Was it quite stuffy though? I imagine the School of Music at, at, at Oxford, particularly, there'd be quite a few people who buy into the stuffiness and the formality and the, the classicism. It's for academics. I yeah. mean, Oxford is training academics. It's a very, well, look, put it this way, it was when I was there, hugely academic. So, you know, I would be set an assignment to, to you know, look at the political influences on Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony. And I soon realised that I infinitely liked playing Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony more than I liked analysing the yeah. political influences that shaped the Fifth Symphony. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, most of your tutors had written the books that you study from. So you'd turn up in lectures and be like, I could just stay in bed and read your textbook because that's all you're teaching me. So, I mean, you literally have the world's best academics teaching you. Mm. So, yeah, there was a huge pride in knowledge and research and depth. Whereas for me, it, it became blooming clear that, no, my joy of music is sharing it and playing yep. it. yeah not behind the scenes. Yeah. So at least that helped me with making career decisions. <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly um, been the direction you've followed since. And I should mention too, uh, recognised last year in the Arts and Culture category in the West Australian of the Year Awards, but we'll get into that in due time. We need to take a break, Bobby. Uh, we'll be back with more of Inspiring Stories in just a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing the story of Borby Webster. Uh, Borby, once you finished your, your studies, at what point did you um, become part? I mean, nine orchestras at, at Oxford. Um, you then became part of, of this ensemble called Bond. You were pretty big for a while, weren't you? <laughs> oh, it, was it was this a, kind of electronic. Yeah, it was electric string quartet. Yeah, hybrid style that you had. Yeah. Yep. Classical um, over. There were four of you, right? Yes. Um, four uh, young-ish ladies. Yep. We were. Um, you were oh, this kind of. I think when we started, this, we were all twenty-two to twenty-four. Yeah. So two violins, a viola, and a cello. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? Really interesting. Gosh, how to say this briefly? I did post-grad at the Royal College of Music, I knew actually I wasn't ever going to be a full-time player because I knew that sitting on the desk of the violas in an orchestra for the next 50 years, it's an amazing job, but I just, my personality's too big. <laughs> 
ridiculous. And I mean that with all due respect. Too loud for the third row. Yeah, I just, you know, it's it, gosh. Anyway, so at music college, I thought, but I really want to learn how to play so that I can play whatever I want to play and put that to bed and be able to be a violist, but then work out what I could do with that. And on the wall at music college, wanted two violins, viola, cello, must be female, call Rob. And at that time, I That's, had a, That doesn't sound dodgy at all. I know. But, you know, <laughs> I, I'd already put a string quartet together because back at Oxford yeah. Uni, I'd had one. So I put one together in London for weddings and parties yeah. and things. Yep. And um, so I rang Rob going, look, I've got uh, four girls that play two violins, viola, cello. Like, is this for a TV job or is this for a bit of filming? What is it? And he's like, no, no, this guy called Mel Bush who is like the grandfather of the British music industry. I mean, he literally introduced Mick Jagger to Jerry Hall. He pretty much founded Roxy Music. He hung out with Freddie Mercury. Um, Amazing, amazing promoter Mm. guy. Mm. He'd had phenomenal success with a young Asian violinist called Vanessa May. And Vanessa May's mum had come saying, my daughter is a prodigy, but I want her to be a rock star. I don't want her to be a classical star. I want you to make her famous. And Mel did. Vanessa May sold millions of albums, and this was in the late um, 80s. I, I, I do remember it. Early 90s. Yeah. Where is she now, by the way? She's still playing, I believe. Is I've she? Saw, yeah, I saw yeah. her do something with Andre Rue, I'm pretty certain. I was like, oh, my God, there she is. <laughs> um, but this was in the era of girl bands. And yeah. so Mel had had so much success with um, Vanessa that he was like, well, hang on a minute. You know, he's watching the Spice now I've Girls. Got four of them. Yeah, he's watching the Spice Girls kick off. He's watching, you know, Atomic Kitten, all these bands, girl bands in the 90s, and thought, well, why don't I try a girl string band? So literally, he got this guy called Rob, who's now a pretty big promoter in the UK in his own right, to advertise and audition. And there I was, rocking up with my little string quartet. They didn't want a, f- a formed string quartet, they were looking for individuals, but. For whatever reason, my big personality that can't be contained on the third desk of violas in an orchestra was fine for jumping around and playing air violin. And yeah, it was it was the most bizarre, amazing thing when you've literally sat in a viola seat in prim little orchestras in local churches mm. playing your Mozart Requiem to suddenly be in studios with flashing lights and drummers. And it was such a different world. Yeah. yeah. How, did, um, how did your mum and the folks back in the... The little village in the West Country take to this new style that you were playing. I think when I first showed my mum the fo- first photo shoot, she was like... Because you were quite glammed up. Yeah, she, mum was definitely like, well, yeah. you're not wearing under the knee socks anymore, are you, dear? And I was like, no, mum, different image, actually. <laughs> A completely different image. Look, I think... Um, my parents got it. They're really musical, but my dad loves a bit of rock and roll. Yeah. And I said, well, imagine, you know, that sort of polite smattering of applause that most classical musicians experience in their life. Imagine if you can get the whooping and cheering and roar of a stadium from playing a classical instrument. And mm. I really loved that that's what Bond did. Mm. And, look, you know, I left very early in the picture. Um, but I'm really proud of what the girls went on to achieve. They literally let violinists have dreams that you don't, have to just do one yep. thing in life that you yep. can go out there and play any music you want to play. And, and I suppose an opportunity there to expose uh, a whole new crowd to classical 100%. sounds. W- was that the first time that you were able to do that? And uh, looking back, was it the start of, I suppose, what you still aim to do now? A hundred percent, Tim, absolutely. That a lot of people dismiss um, classical musical musicians as not their thing. Mm. And, you know, it's possibly because they've not had exposure like I did as a child, so it becomes a very beautiful thing that just exists in your life. Whereas for most people, they're like, nah, look, give me a bit of Jimmy Barnes, but all that stuff. And I'm like, "Mm, if I can help you find a way in, because you're right, you know, it's intimidating, a major concert where you can't rustle a 
lolly wrap or take a drink into your mm. seat. And there's, so, a, there's a certain crowd that, that always go to, you know, those prestigious venues. And they don't help. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're one of those people that tuts someone for having a good time at a classical concert, you know, just know we've got to – you know, be a little more tolerant of different audiences and different listening to be able to let more people in because yeah. the future of orchestras depends mm. on us getting big audiences. Yeah. So, yeah, so my desire to do what Bond had done, which was just open people's eyes and ears and minds to the idea of classical musicians playing more contemporary music mm. um, w- was hugely inspiring. Mm. And actually one of my lockdown projects was to create a new electric string quartet here in Perth and they launched two weeks ago at the State Theatre Centre and they're called Inica. So anyone who wants to look up Perth's answer to a female string quartet, electric string quartet. Yeah, I-N-N-E-K-A, inicamusic.com. And they are, they're fabulous. They're four girls from Perth Symphony Orchestra who are incredible performers, strong women, you know, two of them are mums and they're just brilliant humans. But they want to show that classical music can be as immediate and impactful and you know, direct mm. um, as any contemporary music. So I'm excited about where they're going to mm. go, actually. Yeah, good stuff. Why did you leave Bond? You said you weren't in it for very long. Why did you leave it? Look, is that another long story? It's another long story. Yeah. But look, um, I think you've got to have the right dynamic in a girl band, particularly. Yeah. In any working environment, if you've only got one gender, that breeds a certain atmosphere. And I definitely was the black sheep. I mean, you know, I was the odd one. And it sort of became apparent that, it wasn't going to work. We weren't the right personalities. So I ran away to the furthest place on the planet called Perth, Western Australia. Is that what prompted the move to 100%, Perth then? 100%. 100%. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you've been here ever since, so. I know. Well, what was but, slightly but why annoying? Perth? Did you just sort of close your eyes and point, <laughs> spin the globe and point to a spot? No. I One of my rowing crew was yeah. an Aussie boy from Perth. Right. And he was my partner at the time. So when I was like, I need to get out of London, you know, Bond were really taking off and they're Photos were everywhere and videos were everywhere and I'd put my heart and soul and, into and, the group. So that didn't suit you? The fame no. of being in Bond? No. Oh, no. my God. And there's a reason I'm behind the scenes at Perth Symphony. I much prefer helping other people fly. I've realised that that's what I'm best at. It's really – I'm not very good at the pressure of being the front person. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to kind of admit that to yourself at some point. Even though I love performing – I've realised actually I'm truly joyful when I'm making stuff happen for other people. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't even touched on the rowing yet. But, had, no. I mean, when I say you competed at rowing, yes. you know, you were going for Olympic yes. level performances, yes. you know, at Athens and then Sydney. Yes. How did you get into rowing while you're devoting so much of your time and energy to music? Where did rowing fit into the picture? Do you know, before I started at Oxford, my dad had studied at Oxford University And my dad gave me some amazing advice. He said, look, it is the world's best university and you are going to have access to the most amazing information and knowledge. And he said, but I spent three years buried in a library and all I can remember is pages of books. He said, I didn't live. I didn't do anything that that university offers. And it offers such an amazing melting pot. Mm. So he said, just promise me that you don't study too hard. He said, pass your degree, but I don't want you to sacrifice the relationships and the life you're going to have. And when I first got there, um, you have a sort of college open day where your college kind of says, come and join the card playing society or the bridge society or the whatever. And there on the rowing table were some really hunky guys. And I was like, (laughs) gosh, I haven't seen anyone like you before. And I was like, better give rowing a go then. (laughs) 
I literally was the least sport. I mean, I was an active human. When you grow up in the country, you are pretty active in climbing trees and running around. Um, but yeah, so shamelessly thought the rowing coach was cute. So took up this sport, got addicted to it, absolutely loved it. But the calluses on my hands were so bad from the blade that I couldn't play my viola anymore. And I was like, damn, how do I juggle this sport that I've fallen in love with? It is such a graceful sport. And when you strike a perfect rhythm on the water, your boat is flying at high speed, propelled purely by you. It's the most incredible feeling. Um, And I was like, I just need to get my morning fix on the river every day, but I can't row. So the only logical thing was just stop eating and become a coxswain, (laughs) which is what I did. And it's, I can't begin to tell you, and this sounds really weird and, you know, the listeners kind of thinking I've definitely had some substance this morning to make me talk like this but um music and rowing and coxing are very very similar so the rhythms that you get out of a boat if you need a change of gear to step up to increase the boat pace if you need to increase the length of the stroke and relax the ratio all of that is ratios and rhythms in my Mm. head and i can sing different songs to it so i was instantly able to feel rhythmic changes call for changes feel the boat pace and be able to move a rowing crew Um, in the way that a conductor would move an orchestra. Mm. And so I found it the most easy, natural thing. So literally within six months of starting to cox, having switched from being a rower, you know, I found found myself coxing the most insane boats. And a year and a half later, I coxed the British women's team and we won Henley Regatta and on it went from there. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And it's not because I think I'm particularly special at sport. It's because that particular role in sport is Mm. so rhythmically and musically driven. Yeah. Was it tapped into that same part of the brain? I, and that, I guess that so. That sense of discipline that's required for both. Yep. And the precision yep. and all of that. All of it, literally. Yeah. Do you still get in the boat? It's probably been about four years. Yeah. yeah. I don't think my you hips still get to order, order people around though and, and control the rhythms <laughs> elsewhere. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of timing, we need to take a, another break. Borby uh, Webster is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more very soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing the inspiring story of Bobby Webster. Um, I think we're at the point now where you're, you're now in Perth. Again, it seems... A, a bloke kind of lured you here in a, in a way or, or at least sparked your interest in, in coming here. But uh, it's been a beautiful thing, obviously, in the in the 20 or so years since you've completed a, an MBA at UWA yeah. um, and you've started North Street Music, Perth Symphony Orchestra and everything else. <laughs> I mean, you've done a lot in your time here. I have. Haven't you? But I get bored. No, it's, it's not. It's just evolved. It you doesn't... obviously like to keep busy. I do. Yeah. I like making stuff happen and I love people and people are, you know, the the support I've had has been amazing. Like mm. you just start talking to someone about a good idea and they're like, oh, let's do this. And, and stuff starts happening. Perth is an amazing place for stuff to happen. Like, you know, yes, occasionally I've experienced that whole tall poppy thing of which everyone yeah. talks about yeah. but my experience of western australia is you know give everyone a fair go and open some doors to help them do it yeah so you know the amount of support i've had from extraordinary people who are like hey you've got a good idea i know someone that could help you with that and you know i just i certainly couldn't have had the life 
that I now have in in London, for example. Mm. I'm hugely grateful to Western Australia. And I guess, you know, you mentioned earlier about winning the WA of the Year Award. I was so proud of that because you can tell from my accent, I'm not from here, but to know that I'd been acknowledged for making a contribution Mm. and that was just hugely affirmative because I love this place. I love love the people, love the land, love the music. Yeah. Uh, And you've introduced so many people to uh, to some classical sounds um but prior to the perth symphony orchestra the north street music came about that that precedes yeah. the, the the symphony orchestra and the chamber orchestra right? yeah so how does it work what's what is north street music and 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 what did you start that for uh, look when there? when i got to australia and you know bond had ended for me so yep. i was like look i'm not going to be a pop star it's really devastating, you know, when you find that out. Damn it, I'm not going to be a girl band pop star anymore. Um, but I was still working out. You know, I love music. What does that mean? And I thought, actually, the one thing that Bond, having a record deal, had taught me was the music industry's 99% hard-nosed commerce and 1% talent. Yeah, and right. I mean that with all due respect because the talented people are the ones that yeah. are out there driving, but behind the scenes for every pop star – there's a Simon Cow behind oh every boy Oh, my good. I mean, it's all legal companies, publishers, yeah. rights, tours, merchandise, ticketing. For every single artist, there's literally a 1,000 people employed yeah. economically. And I thought, I don't know any of this. I don't, you know, all I know how to do is play the Bloomin' Viola and talk about political influences on Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony. I mean, this is not going to help me survive in this That's world. That's a niche topic. Yeah. I know. Or just do anything interesting in music. So I pretty much had no choice to do the MBA. I was like, I've got to somehow upskill myself and not be scared of the word P&L and balance sheet. And and that's been transformative. And I'm pretty passionate about telling autistic people to do all they can to upskill with those other skills because they're, they're the ones that set your talent free. Yeah. But um, I ended up in an engineering firm because of the MBA. Don't ask. Slightly odd turn. Great money. Amazing didn't, experience. Didn't find the music in that. Did not so find much. the music. Yeah. Honestly, really interesting, though, talking to water and wastewater engineers about human sludge. Serious. I mean, honestly, the stuff you find out. But there was one day while I was chatting to some engineers about what happens to human sludge um, when I was sort of thinking this is just not where I want to be. And at that point, a monster show came through town called War of the Worlds, written by Jeff Wayne. Uh, epic piece of music that sold millions of albums back in the day, mm. narrated by Richard Burton. And I got booked to play viola on stage because I was still playing freelance. And I threw a sickie from my engineering job. And played that show. And sitting in Burswood Dome, I looked over and the touring rhythm section, 11 players from the UK came out. And I was like, oh, look, there's Vanessa Mays, MD, Ian, must go and say hi. Oh, look, there's Neil Angley, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God. I actually know so many music industry people from my old life and had such a great time talking to them. It was like, I can't go back. I can't go back to work on Monday. I can't go back to an engineering firm. Not there's anything wrong with engineers. They think brilliantly. I learned so much. But I thought, I've got to do something. And sitting at Burswood Dome, this show was epic. I mean, a huge, there was a 48-piece string ensemble, 11-piece band, a 50-metre-wide screen, a hologram of Richard Burton. I mean, there were 13 trucks unloading. Mm. And I was like, why doesn't anyone in Perth do this? Why is it that people have to bring stuff in all the time? Why is there no one in Perth doing something epic? And I thought, I've always wanted to do something orchestral. And so, look, I found it, I left my job. Pretty scary, but founded North Street Music thinking... How did your resignation go, by the way? Oh. <laughs> did, you, did you tell them that story? I did. Yeah? I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm in the wrong place. And I have been. But I've got the... You know, thank you for the skills that I've learned. Yeah. 
you know, I really, and they were actually really supportive. And now still I get some engineers on my LinkedIn going, Bob's, look at what you're doing now. <laughs> and I'm like, how's the water and mace water? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. But that was a defining moment. But it, it actually, I mean, I started that company in 2007. And North Street, by the way, is named after North Street in Cottesloe and Swanbourne. And that was the first street I drove down when on my first day in Australia. Right. And when you get to the end of that road, over that top of that very steep brow of the hill, the ocean is just this monstrous expanse in front of you. And it was a beautiful sunset, mm. next stop Africa. And that was an analogy for me saying, I've moved to Australia. This is a brand new horizon. Mm. The sky's the limit. The future's ahead of me. So when I came to naming my own company, it had to be North Street. Yeah. But... um. I was just too scared. I didn't know how to get investors. I wasn't from here. I didn't have a dad who had a rich mate. So North Street started out doing little shows at the Ellington Jazz Club. I had a little amazing singer-songwriter night called Song Lounge. So I got to know a ton of brilliant West Aussie singer-songwriters who now regularly, some of them star in Perth Symphony Orchestra Mm. concerts and shows, which is great. And I met Steve through my contacts with singer-songwriters back then. And I did a great little showcase called Chamber Jam which was getting classical musicians to jam at the Ellington Jazz Club. So, like, I started small, but it took a good four years to work out how to start a new symphony orchestra, how to do anything of scale. Mm. So it was a blooming long journey until Perth Symphony did its first show on November 13. And can I ask, uh, was it controversial with some of the Wasso people that you had played with? How did they respond to you launching your own symphony orchestra venture here? Um, in WA, were they welcoming? The musicians, yes. Yeah. Generally, you know. But the establishment? The establishment, no. Because no. <laughs> they were like, we don't need another orchestra. Yeah. We've already got a brilliant one. We're and like, one we orchestra do. town. Yeah, and we do have a brilliant orchestra. It was never about that. But when you've come from London, you know, and I spent, you know, two and a half years in London at Music College and in Bond and everything, you know, when the South Bank Centre has got four resident orchestras alone, I mean, London's got 14 professional orchestras plus, 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 and you've got an orchestra that's dedicated to playing candlelit Baroque music in the vaults of St. Martin in the Fields, or you've got the Royal Philharmonic Concert Orchestra that does touring productions of Star Wars, and then you've got the Royal Opera. I mean, literally, on it goes. There's an orchestra for everyone. So this mm. is about making sure that every single person, regardless of music taste, has access to a monster symphony and can enjoy that insanely incredible beast of a group of musicians. So when I come to Perth and, you know, we've got Wazza who are incredible, but they're a very, um, they were, they're much more diverse now, which is fantastic to see. But at the time, you know, fairly traditional in terms of symphonic content and huge majority of concerts in the concert hall. Mm. And I was like, there's room for another 19 orchestras here. And I'm so excited to see, I mean, you know, there's a new Baroque orchestra called Australian Baroque that started up and, you know, with Perth Symphony, you know, so we're all filling our little niche. But what it means is that every person in the community mm. can find an access point to a symphony orchestra and find the music that they love. So I think, you know, look, and I regularly meet with some of the guys at the West Australian Symphony and actually um, the CEO, Paul Shannon, and I are having a meeting on Wednesday. So it's definitely, we're working out how to make Western Australia. that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A vibrant, full of orchestral places, but understand which yeah. bit of it we can do. Yeah. And I know you've taken the orchestra on the road to some crazy places, places uh, you wouldn't normally expect to see a, a symphony orchestra perform. Anyway, I know. But I'll I ask you it. about that right <laughs> after we take a break. Uh, Bobby Webster is our special guest. We'll be back with more in just a few minutes. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. 
This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Uh, Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Borby Webster, the uh, director and founder of North Street Music, the Perth Symphony Orchestra and the Perth Chamber Orchestra, among many other things. Some of the crazy places that you've taken the orchestra to, I mean, we, we, we're sort of used to hearing those sorts of sounds in a place like the concert hall, and similar venues around, around the world. Um, breaking out of that mould, though, um, it, it's a it's a mental leap for some people, isn't it? It absolutely you know, go, is. So let's hear the the orchestra on Cable Beach, exactly. For instance, and we have done. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I you love have. that. I love. It's amazing how much um, an experience changes based on where you experience mm. it. Yep. You know, like I'm sure for a dinner in a restaurant is one thing, but dinner sitting on a rooftop is another thing. You know, and we found that by being really curious about that sounds very like a very hipster idea. Yeah, actually, there you it? go. But mm. by taking the orchestra into really crazy places and being brave, and you know, the musicians have to come on the journey too because mm. obviously they want to play in beautiful rooms that make their sound soar and make it easy to play. Whereas I put them on windswept breaches, beaches where sand is getting in. You know, and just it's really hard for them, but... Do they roll their, their eyes at yes. you a little bit when you oh, suggest yeah. these things? Oh, I have the on. most tolerant bunch <laughs> of people that I work with, but they absolutely also understand that by doing that, they're reaching new people mm. and that if they want to play and perform and have people come listen, they have to be able to, you know... So there's always a compromise. You know, I strongly don't recommend taking a harp in a trailer down a corrugated red dirt road, the harp will explode. So, you know, there, there have been some lessons learned mm. um, on this journey and red dirt will get, it doesn't matter if you put your cello in a bin liner, in a red cello case, finds a way. in a bin liner, red dirt will still find its way into that instrument. So, yeah, look, it's it's challenging, but it transforms people and playing for people where they live as well, you know, in their territory, mm. in their buildings, in their towns is just incredible. And and I imagine just on a personal level, coming to WA and exploring the state, you you would have been to and performed in some some pretty spectacular places, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like which are the ta- ones that stand out? For you're you? talking about Broome. That that is such yeah. a stunning place. And you know, look, Western Australia is blessed that we have we are West Coast. I we have sunsets and concerts are performed in the evening. So to perform in those kind of environments under trees with sunsets and nature surrounding you we have a natural beautiful stage across the state for us Mm. Uh, you've done so much in in marrying up some of those uh, classical sounds with more modern contemporary uh, pop sounds Uh, are there any other artists or bands that you would desperately love to uh, bring in a classical theme at least to audiences here in WA who are the who are the artists that you'd love that you haven't been able to conquer yet oh do you know there are so many and oddly the orchestra tackles artists, not necessarily that I particularly love, but that I'm just like, I just want to know if an orchestra can actually do this. So our Nirvana show was about, can an orchestra play grunge rock and pull it off? And the answer was, yes, we got a standing ovation. But in terms of my own personal um, artists, gosh, there are too many to mention, but there is one which is on the cards. And goodness me, I hope I pull it off. And that's the music of Eurythmics and Annie mm. Lennox. You know, I'm hugely inspired by her, other than the fact that when you play her music, you know everything, but it lends itself to a symphony orchestra. And this is a woman whose career spans 50 years. Yeah. Remarkable. She's been a trailblazer, hasn't she? 100%. Just on that, you mentioned, um, you know, promoting equality uh, through your work as well. And 
you've had a, a again a proud history of having um, great representation of of women in your groups, haven't you? And and as well, younger people. A hundred percent. Has that yep. has that been a very deliberate thing that you've you've embarked upon, or has it just sort of happened that way? It's interesting. I mean, eighty percent of Perth Symphony's musicians are female, and that's just the uptake of music. So mm. that's just how it is at the moment, which is fabulous. Um, but there are certain roles in the classical music industry that have always been filled by men, hugely dominant, and it's incredibly hard for women to break in, and conducting is one of those. So in that situation, I very much take a proactive approach. So we created a program called Women on the Podium. Yep. Globally, only 4% of people with the title conductor or artistic director are female, which is just shocking when you consider how many women that are involved in low, music. Yeah. So we have a program with 12 women at the moment where we're literally expanding their skills on the podium, um, building their confidence, teaching leadership. So during lockdown, we had some of the world's top female conductors join us here in Western Australia over Zoom, working with our young conductors who are um, conducting some of our Perth Symphony musicians. So. Mm. People like Sean Edwards and Jane Glover, if you're in my world, you know, they, they would be big names. So <laughs> it's just been incredible. So, yes, mm. look, I, it's not something that externally, if you visit our website, it's not something we really just make a huge song and dance about because obviously we're a home for all musicians and anyone of any background is welcome. Mm. But there are certain things that if I believe there to be an imbalance that I will work my bottom off to put mm. right and do something about it. I bet you will. And just lastly, uh, the post-COVID world, whenever that will finally come and, and take shape, will it be vastly different uh, in terms of the work that you do? Will it be vastly different to the pre-COVID world? In some ways, yes. So Perth Symphony Orchestra exists because the community want us to. Um, and what that means is that we couldn't be here without being hired. So mm. I get shires and CEOs and mayors of local communities who believe that music can change their community to take us. And those higher fees are what keep us alive and performing. But because of COVID, so many local governments have been decimated and their income has dropped radically. Um, and as a result of that, a huge part of our income has just completely disappeared overnight. So that's going to change our business model. It's going to make us present more of our own concerts, take way more risks. We've now got to sell way more tickets. Um, you know, we certainly need to be far more proactive in securing sponsors. Um, and in fact, you know, we would we get very we do get government funding, which is sensational, but very very small amount. Um, so yes, it, it, it's going to change our focus and change what we do and how we do it for sure. So it's mm. I don't think we'll ever go back to pre-COVID mm. and the world. Well, it sounds like they've got uh, still someone very determined and committed at the helm, so uh, they, I'm sure, will be in very good hands. Uh, Bobby Webster, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. It's been fascinating. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.